welcome to another episode of the Grace and Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And uh, Cam's just about over his uh, illness, and mine's just starting to peak, I think. Yeah, it's just the occasional cough every once in a while. I was a little concerned yesterday. We threw your symptoms into WebMD and thought you might have leprosy. Yeah, well, I... I did. I took my weekly bath, and that most of that washed off. Okay. Okay. Good. I, good. I had to soak a while, but most of it washed off. So yeah. So between the bath. the COVID or the flu or well, or... I, my head feels just blah. My stomach feels blah. My whole body just feels blah. So I put in you know other symptoms. Blah blah blah. <laughs> came up <laughs> with uh, diphtheria. And um, and maybe typhoid. So nice. So we're gonna see how that rides out. I was gonna. I don't know if I have a fever or not. I used my thermometer on one of the sheep, and I must have left it in there because I can't find it. Great. So and of I, course, I, only have one thermometer. Well, yeah. Why would you need two? You don't. So <laughs> it just makes sense. So if I don't die in the middle of this episode, that would be good. I keep losing my voice too. Yeah, and if you do croak, we are looking for another host of the Grazing Sheep podcast. So we'll just yeah. put that yeah, you job email, advertisement out there. Yeah, you can email me at Big Tom Perkins at Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, find find my contact somewhere out on yeah. on Google. But yeah, oh, we got good. So, so you just got back yeah, from just, an eventful last week, and I. It is fun. I was going to ask you, since you live in Pennsylvania, it won't be Groundhog's Day when this releases, but it is Groundhog Day today. Yes. And I was I curious hate, what the results were. Have I you hate, heard? I hate Phil. He says eight more weeks or six more weeks or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know why they just don't shoot that groundhog. And be done with it. And it's then my only, question it's is. It's only been 20, 20 years since he predicted an early spring. Oh, is it really? Oh, that's yeah, only funny. twenty times has he ever done that. It's always yeah. we're gonna have more winter. I hate now. That. Is it the same winter we've been having? Because for those that are in the kind of eastern Midwest, I mean, we're looking at fifty-five degrees all next week. So, is it? I'll take it. I don't love the mud. It's been treacherous. Um, but in terms of winter weather, I think we've had one one snow that i wouldn't even call substantial it was a dusting at best well anymore we know winter doesn't really mean like necessarily freezing temps and a lot of snow it just means mud yeah that's so, what it's been so it's it's a minimum of six more weeks of mud mud and it's probably Phil, longer than that unfortunately he lives in a hole he does well that's he should care if well, it's just going to rain, you would think so. You you would think. So anyway, back on topic, a little tangent there. You were at the grazing, the Ohio Grazing Conference, and yep. were the keynote speaker. I don't know if they had a keynote speaker, but we're going to call you the keynote speaker because <laughs> from what I from what I hear, got nothing but positive comments and feedback, and yep. had to stick around to talk to people all afternoon into the yep. evening. Yeah, nobody and, nobody threw anything at me. Nobody booed. Yeah, you know, and we're not going to get too in depth on what you talked about because 
I think we've done a pretty good job. It was a virtual farm tour, essentially. Right. right. And what your operation is, what your operational goals are. And I think we've discussed quite a bit of that here on the podcast. And so, um, yeah, that went well, and that's super exciting. But we thought we would at least share some of the fun topics that you heard about. And we put a plug in a couple weeks ago about this conference. And I was curious, did the food meet expectation? It was phenomenal. Was it? I'm telling you, you couldn't go to any restaurant and pay the, I can't remember if the fee was like 40 or $45 for the two days. And it included lunch and all these snacks, massive amounts of donuts and coffee and, and chocolate milk and milk and, you know, you know, for the two days, it was unbelievable. It was, it was just crazy. Every break you would come out and there'd be these long tables set up with cheese and uh, beef sticks and, and uh, I don't know, bologna and all kind of stuff. But it was all, you know, like homemade stuff. It was absolutely fantastic. I don't know how they're making any money. That's what I don't understand because we were just talking yesterday on uh, the Appalachian Grazing Conference that's mm-hmm. every other year. Yeah. And I think registration cost for that's 250 bucks. Yeah. Yep. And, and I can guarantee there, there won't be as much food. No, they'll have some food out, but it is nothing like what is the Ohio Grazing Conference. Yeah, and that's we're probably putting. They, the, they are they are these small little plates that they you know that you go through the, the line with, you know, fill up on your cheese and all that. And of course, you know, I'm trying to heat mine up because basically I'm a pig, and I couldn't eat like half of it. it really? Just, oh, it just filled you up so fast. It's like I don't know how to describe it, but it's like all good dense food. Right, and yeah. then you remember that you just filled a plate up 45 minutes ago. And that's part of the, yeah. And then you, you know, you go back to your motel room and you're like, I should eat dinner, but I'm not even remotely hungry. Right. You know, right. and you, and I start panicking, you know, cause my life revolves around food. And I think, well, what am I going to do at 10 o'clock if I'm hungry? Because there is no McDonald's in Mount Hope, Ohio. No, it's, there's not much. In Mount another Hope, fun fact I learned Ohio. while I was there. Is it's really not called Mount Hope. It's actually Millersburg. That mm. is that is a mailing address of everything in Mount Hope, Millersburg. Really? Yes. Because the they don't suburbs. Have, they don't have a post office. Yep. The the Amish suburbs of Millersburg, Ohio. Yep. Lovely. Nice. Uh, so, on, the way, on the way over, you know, ran into lots of horses and buggies. You know, we didn't actually run into them. But right. I, okay. I, okay. I was concerned about it at times. Yeah, you, it's a little scary. You'd be going 55 mile an hour and you come up over the knoll and there's a horse and buggy. And and for those that aren't familiar with that area, I mean, it's northeastern Ohio. And you, you mentioned coming over the knoll. You know, some of those are steep, blind well, curves. Deep enough uh, you couldn't see on the other side. Yeah, I remember we were there's a uh place there that sells dimensional lumber, kime lumber, and it's I believe in Millersburg. It's it's in the same vicinity. And I remember we were coming home and it was must have been like quitting time. 
right before we had left the place mm-hmm. and it had gotten dark and it was nothing but bicycles with lights on them. It yeah. was terrifying. I mean, it was, it was very scary, but yeah, we're fortunate. You didn't hit anything. I know we were down at, uh, when we were down at WVU, we were hauling lambs up there and it was always interesting to get the truck and trailer through some of those over some of those knolls without hitting anything or anybody, but yeah, you made it there safely, and you mentioned had some phenomenal attendance numbers. Oh yeah, on uh, so the conference was Thursday and Friday, and so on Thursday they told me there was eleven hundred people there, and on Friday there was thirteen hundred people there. Yeah, that's crazy. That was it was a lot of people, and if you ever get the opportunity to go, you should go because you will never see so many Amish people in one place. I'd be willing yeah. that, that probably 90% of the attendants were Amish. I believe it. And that's, you know, coming from that Penn State extension system, there was a huge audience that that took advantage of those extension materials. And we have to think what they're, they're not heading off into the nearest large city yeah. to take office jobs. Yep. Uh, most of those are agrarian and at least on the home farm, uh, and are still tied to the land in in general. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of events uh, that occur there, and we have to think, how are they getting their information? A lot of it is word of mouth or uh, some print material, so that it makes sense that there would be a that much of a following uh, in that in that area, and people show up to hear to hear the information and to learn. Oh, and yeah. so taking from that point, we've talked about the food. I've got that box checked off, talked about attendance. What was a couple or what were a couple of the talks that you sat in that really intrigued you um, throughout the two-day conference? Well, the on the first day, it's mostly about dairy cattle or beef cattle, but just cattle. And uh, the second day is more about uh, small ruminants, you know, uh, goats and sheep. And on that first day, there was only one speaker who was not uh, Amish or Mennonite. And he was a guy from up in New York that had, uh, he grew up in a, in a family business. And his family assumed that, you know, he was going to take over the business one day. And a friend of his had a farm. And uh, he was thrown in the towel and decided he was going to sell it. And this guy, uh, Carrie Estes was his name, just said to the friend, would you sell it to me? And he said, yeah, sure, if you, you want to buy it. So they made arrangements and and ended up buying that farm. And he was big into uh, reading the Stockman-Grass Farmer and things of that nature and was all interested in the regenerative agriculture. And he was going to graze this farm and the whole bit and, so he took all his money and tore the whole farm up and planted the whole thing into rye grasses and started running ads to uh, custom graze, and he got zero replies. So here he is with his 200-acre farm, all this grass, and nothing to put on him. So he contacted a guy in um, Texas, I think it was, and ordered in 100 dairy heifers. The, the, the guy would gather up for him, and they made a deal and brought all those dairy heifers in there. And he raised them up, turned a bull in with them, and didn't see anything happening. 
had a vet come out and check them and found out every one of them were free martins. Yeah, and if if you want to explain what a free martin is for all the sheep people on here. Well, a free martin is, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a product of twins. Yes. Isn't that a bull, a bull calf and a heifer calf born as twins? Correct. Something like 95% of the time or something, those heifers will not breed. They, they yes, will. they are. They're not fertile. Right. Um, and so that's understanding a little bit from the dairy industry, which you grew up in. Are you shocked that the load of 100 dairy heifers he picked up from some guy in Texas, are you shocked that those were not reproductively sound, just the best dairy genetics people could find? Yes and no. I would have thought it would have been hard to put together a hundred free Martin heifers. Well, those are the ones that everybody's selling. Yes. And, yeah, and if, I still would have thought they would have been hard to put together. And if I'm I a trader. It's hard to find a hundred of them, all about the if, same. Yeah. If I'm a trader, I can like T R A D E R. Yeah. Um, in his situation, you could also call me the other yeah. trader because <laughs> betrayed his his trust maybe and i'm assuming he didn't go back to the same gentleman to buy dairy calves off of well but if i'm a trader that was a funny part because uh a year later after well after he found this out he contacted the guy and um he bought another load of 100 and telling the guy i do not want free martins and the guy said no problem and uh he shipped him another load of 175 of those were were <laughs> free martins too and those were purebred dairy calves so yeah those were still holstein and oh then my uh, goodness. and then uh so the next time around he bought from somebody else and uh as far as i know you know those just went for beef and he bought from somebody else and he wanted uh like jersey holstein crosses and he just figured that would be a lot harder to get free martins and so he bought from somebody else, and it turned out I don't think any of those were free martins. Okay. He, his goal was to breed those and then sell those as as bred heifers. And he couldn't get enough of them sold, so he had to scramble and, and build a barn and start milking. Oh my goodness! And See, that's day, and to this day he's a grass based dairy farmer. He's still milking cows. I he knew he knew absolutely nothing about farming when he started. Yeah. He so, knows a lot now. He knows a lot now. It was kind of trial by fire, and he was a really good speaker, really entertaining. So I, I definitely couldn't fall asleep through that one. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of lessons to learn from that. Um, I don't know what he paid for those up front, but sometimes if that deal's too good, it's too good to be true. Yeah. And before we jump into this, you know, for, we start from plan A. And that was to graze other people's cattle, to mm -hmm. do custom grazing. And, you know, all the eggs in one basket, we jump into it, and all of a sudden there's no demand for, well, for that, it. That's just it. You always hear in whatever enterprise you're going to start into, you need to know what your market is going to be. Right. In that instance, he needed to, ahead of time, have – already have that market established where he had people saying, yeah, if you plant your farm to this, we'll, we'll bring, 
we'll bring animals there. That would have been his market. And it was just and have it locked down beforehand. Right. It was just a you know another reminder to know your market before you get started. You know, we right. hear all the time in the sheep industry too. You know, you're gonna get started in sheep. The first thing you need to know is what's your market gonna be. And that right. kind of that bases everything else you're doing. You know, we talk about this all the time on the on this podcast too, that if you're gonna if you know when you want to market your lambs, then you start and back up from there and that gives you when you need to be breeding. Right. So all, all that makes, you know, a heck of a lot of sense. But he was he was a really good speaker. There was a uh, another fellow there that talked about composting. And uh, he was an Amishman, and I've come to the conclusion after going to this twice that most Amishmen aren't that great of presenters. Um, I just don't think they have the practice, and I don't think they have the access to the technology maybe to practice. But his, uh, his presentation was, like I said, on composting. And basically what we did was we kind of just watched videos of him running his uh, compost turner. That he did make. I have to give him credit for that for sure. He made this thing, and uh, he designed it, and had some you know people helping with the materials and so on. And he had a he was running it on a skid loader, and uh, the skid loader had a sixty horsepower engine on it. Was not quite mm. didn't quite understand that part of it, but maybe that's what he needed. Maybe the skid loader just didn't have enough oomph to run this thing. But it was fun to watch the compost turn. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah, I bet it was. And that's, there's some significant benefits. You, you've got a significant amount of compost out there, which we probably ought to do an episode on that. Um, I don't think we've done one yet, no. but you're taking in a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tree chips, yeah. wood chips yeah. from trees that have been uh, pulled out and then you know taken care of. And they're dumping them there, and you're so on that turning point. You're having to go out with the skid steer and turn it every so often. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Uh, it's a lot easier in the summer months or when things are frozen, right? That's, right. And I don't have any concrete, you know, to do this on or gravel or anything like that, and so it gets pretty slippery pretty fast. And if you ever run a skid loader you don't worry about burying it um it's just you can't go anywhere because it just slides around right so you try to go into the pile and as soon as you touch the pile your wheels just spin and then you can't move right <laughs> right you end up using the bucket to push yourself backwards to get onto something that's not quite so slippery and try to get out yeah, yeah. So I, I started another pile all right before the weather turned that's been a it's been sitting there stagnant for a couple of months, but come spring, you know, or things start to dry out again, then I can get back in and start turning that and it'll, it'll get active pretty quick. And you've got that wood to break down to the point where you're spreading it on the field yeah, and seeing good results from that. Yeah. If I were to actually screen it like the pros do, it would, um, you would just have nothing but, you know, the fine particles in it. And then would you take those screen chips and put them back in the barn? Probably could, but I more likely would just take the screen chips and just put them back in the next compost. Okay. Okay. Because that's, I know a number of producers that are running some wood chips at the bottom of their bed pack. Well, that's uh, what some, we do. 
Okay. Okay. But those are just, you know, just straight wood chips. And you are, so you're collecting a lot of that urine and, um, cause it's between the bed pack and then concrete in your barn right. yep. collecting that, that composting and then, uh, turning until it breaks down to the point of spreadability. Yeah. So we, we pull that out of the barn and it's, uh, it's already starting to compost. Right. Yeah. The amount of heat as you're pulling that out is crazy. Yeah. You, you could feel it, you know, on, on your face, you know, from the skid loader. And, uh, you know, we just pile that in a big pile and then we haul that up to the, up back here where, you know, where we have the compost row and, and add more wood chips to it and then start that turn and so on. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is you have to have the space to, to do it because it does take up a, a significant amount of space, especially if you're going to turn it of just something that could be in the way in a lot of operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, there's like no grass growing there now from all the turning and sacking and, and all that and that kind of bothers me but it's in a good area where you, there's not runoff or anything to that nature so if there is i mean it's, it's just going to go into grass and but is it's amazing how thick and tall the grass is on the outside of that area mm. so there's definitely something in there that's making it go now i just yeah. got uh we're going through a nutrient management plan and so they pulled uh, some manure samples and they pulled some compost samples. Have you gotten those back yet? Not yet. So I'm interested to see what what the difference is between the two. But I know this guy talked a good bit about, you know, when you're just out spreading manure, um, a lot of that is going to volatize. And so you're going to just lose it into the air. Um, right. And then uh, with the rains, a lot of that is going to wash away as opposed to, you know, percolating down into the soils. Right. And incorporate into that where we need to get it into that, that top portion of the soil. Right. And then with the compost, um, it just becomes a much more stabilized product. It's not high in NP and K by any means by that point. Right. Because you've used up all that nitrogen to break down the wood. But the, uh, the big thing with the compost is I saw where Dale Strickler had talked about um, you're just creating more surface area for bacteria to colonize on. Mm. And the bacteria is what, you know, really drives your, uh, you know, drives your grasses to grow and all that. And it theoretically over time, this should raise your um, soil organic levels too. Right. Or organic matter, yeah, yeah. That's I would now we've talked about it practically for an episode, but we yeah. we it'd be a good one in the future, especially now uh, for a lot of us who are getting ready to lamb in a barn or uh, maybe have some deceased animals that we could take advantage of that side of composting, you know, mm-hmm. for for getting rid of those carcasses. Um, unfortunately, that's a side effect of raising livestock that yep. we're going to have dead yep. stock as well. But yep. so anyway, so you had that conversation at the conference and then uh, in terms of small ruminant programming, was there much after that? So on the second day, which was Friday, um, they had a guy there from 
just outside of Indianapolis in, I'm assuming that's Indiana. Yeah. Correct? Okay. Yeah. Hey, is that right? Uh, <laughs> Indianapolis, <laughs> Indiana. You tell I don't get out much. Um, and he had a goat farm. And I don't remember how many acres he had or if he even said how many acres he had. But he started out years ago with his kids as a 4-H project and bought uh, a buck and a couple of does. And now he's a little over 800 goats. Oh, wow. It's it's pretty insane. Yeah. I mean, that's. I would assume he has to have a, a decent amount of space unless it's a confinement operation. No, it's, it's pretty much pasture-based for most of the, you know, most, well, all the summer. He doesn't do much through the winter. They go into some kind okay. of confinement and housing. But it was just insane to see that many that many goats and they're mostly uh a boar that's and, crazy and spanish is that right spanish uh cross yep that is a type of goat yeah. so yeah, yeah they could be boar spanish crosses um yeah i mean that that is a pile of goats for for i guess central if he's around indianapolis for central indiana um and I would assume he's probably south of Indianapolis. I don't know. I don't know the guy. But um, I, what's he doing? Does he deal with much parasite issue? In- well, he, yeah, he wanted, he gave two talks in the morning. It was about uh, parasite management. And it just he spent a lot of time. He's a veterinarian, by the way, too, that okay. in Indiana. And, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time, you know, going through the whole, you know, parasite cycle. And, uh you know, how that whole thing works. And I would imagine there are probably people there that didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, great, another parasite cycle thing. Yeah. Another life cycle, yeah. Another yep. life cycle to watch this whole thing go through, you know. Yep. But um, he does a lot of pomancha scoring, and uh, he tries to only worm what needs, or deworm, I guess, what needs dewormed. Yeah, we always okay. say going to give them worm medicine yeah you know, sure we're going to we're going to worm them you know kind of thing we're not adding worms but uh hopefully not yeah no, <laughs> yeah no, but you know goats tend to graze pretty tall so he lets his forages get pretty tall so because they will go in and take the tops off of things and that definitely helps okay and got some wooded areas that he continually puts uh these goats into so he's taking advantage of that browsing right. behavior right to to kind of fight that parasite life cycle uh and that that was a a common thing a lot of people just assume because they because they browse at that higher level mm-hmm. they're not getting infected and that's a lot that's true 100 percent oh, yeah. uh, the only issue is when they're forced then to we put them in a situation where they have to have more grazing behavior and those goats throw an asterisk on there as long as those goats are willing to do it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden we, we run into some pretty severe parasite issues and um, you know, that's with that many. And that was what was brought up at, uh, at ASI, one of the NSIP topics uh, during the, during that meeting, the first night was, they've seen substantial growth in goat herds 
joining NSIP. And that's, we've known, we've known that that's been a possibility for a long time. And it's exciting to see a lot of goat producers finally take that jump, take that leap into genetic selection through some EBV, some data, uh, data measurements or data capture, and then turning those into usable values to go and select from. Um, and so that, I mean, that's something, if I had 800 goats, I think I'd, I'd at least be interested. The ones that I'm, I'm never deworming, the ones that are always a famacha of one or two, those, those cherry red yep. eyelids, uh, you know, finding those does, maybe pulling out 50 to a hundred, and start collecting some some data on those and just intensify my genetic selection. But I mean that's that's a lot of goats. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of goats in Indiana. Um so that's I mean, that's exciting. That's a good that's a good talk. Yeah, and it, it was interesting to see, you know, I, I you know, I had a few goats. And I don't really plan on going back into goats because uh, you know, goats get out. And that's the number one thing you need to know about ghosts is you can put is them get out. You, yeah, you can put them wherever you want, but they're going to end up where they want. Right. That's it's pretty- hard enough to run sheep with single strand poly wire. Yeah. Uh, you're not doing it with with goats. Yeah. And so goats walk up to you know pretty much any fence and say, "Oh, I don't want to touch that because I don't want to get shocked," and so they just jump over it. You know. Right. Don't, <laughs> right. don't touch any of it. You know. They're pretty smart like that. Where sheep walk up and say, hmm, I don't want to get shocked, but I think I could run through that fast enough that it yeah. won't hurt. That's- and there's still some grass over here, so maybe I won't put put forth the effort to yeah. to run through it. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Because just look and say, oh, this is cute. I can just jump over this. Yeah. But the highlight to me of these conferences is just talking to people. Oh, Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I get a big kick out of just walking up to people and just start talking to them. Yeah. Just kind of always interesting. And, and there wasn't, you know, I won't say that there was anybody that really stood out. Um, but it's just, it's just fun to, to talk to people and, and, you know, just kind of maybe eavesdrop, I guess, and kind of listen to what other people are talking about. And Right. That so was a lot of fun. Um you know, I like doing the presentations and, and all that. This is by far the biggest crowd I did a presentation for. But uh, with a standing ovation, standing ovation, um, w- women were crying. Uh, it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah one I off, did want to ask one, one of my favorites. Low clap. And it just built from there. You know, it, it was, yes, it just grew. I'm I'm sure I wasn't in attendance, so I cannot confirm that. But. Uh, I did want to ask you though, were you able to attend the what I thought the highlight meeting of the or highlight topic of this meeting was um, the privilege of being a farmer's wife? No, and I was curious. I really wanted to go to that. I really and, and it overlapped with something else that you were already. Yeah. Stuck. For those okay. that don't know, for those that don't know, at the Ohio Grazing Conference, or maybe other conferences too, um, because it's so heavily attended by Amish, um, they have a lot of what they call women's sessions. And they're just discussions and presentations on what they think would interest women. 
And I thought that that was kind of an odd one to have, you know, the privilege of being a farmer's wife. I thought that was, I guess maybe in the rest of the world, we would think, hmm, that's not very. Yeah, uh, I, I tell Megan this. I tell Megan this probably on a daily basis. Well, you and I, I don't. I do not do that because I value, I value my life. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's the realistically, it's the other way around. It's I'm privileged to have someone that's as understanding with me when I'm out ultrasounding sheep until 10 p.m. So, yeah. but yeah, I was just curious on on that session that one. I, so I didn't have a it, it may it may not have been that at all. That may have been tongue in cheek. You know, they you know they may have just made jokes the entire time. I don't know, but um, but I, yeah, I thought that was a little a little over the top for a title, but yeah, certainly didn't hear anybody complain about it. You know, but <laughs> right. but yeah, but they do always have them. You know, there if you're interested in some of those uh, that are geared more towards women I right guess. and really the like the homekeeping or homesteading aspects of of being a partner in yeah. that farming operation so yeah, it was it was very intriguing yep so well we're running up on our time here cam and uh i gotta go i don't know i gotta find some kind of uh, roots or something i gotta start taking here for this Diphtheria. I got what the cure is for that. The diphtheria and the typhoid. I don't know. It's probably not moving sheep every day. I'm probably just going to sit here on the couch or lay on the couch and get all snuggled up under my blankie and and watch Oprah. And, and rest. Yep. Just, 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 watch, uh, just watch episode after episode of Oprah until I get recouped. Get motivated. Yep. But through the day, I'm the only one on the farm, so I still have to go out and, you know, keep doing chores, move sheep, move fence, and all that fun stuff. So, well, it's been good catching up with you, and uh, so thank you for listening to an episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. Uh, you can reach out to me if you want at bigtomperkins.gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. You can go on there, like, and follow. And so we'll talk to you next week there, Cam. Sounds good, Tom. Get better. I'll have to try. All right. Bye.